Welcome everyone back to the Product Growth Show. My name is Travis Kaufman, VP Product Growth here at Gainsight. And I have with me today, Wes Bush, uh, who is the founder of Traffic is Currency and also a principal consultant. So I'm very excited to have him here uh, to be talking about not only product, but also specific techniques around product-led growth. So Wes, welcome. Thanks for having me, Travis. Hey, you bet. You bet. Now, I, I always find it interesting uh, how different people get into this uh, this role. You know, we've, we've seen um, other guests of ours have come in through a traditional engineering product background. Um, you know, some of them come from a marketing background. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how you ended up founding Traffic as Currency and kind of what moved you in that direction? You're totally right that whenever it comes to product, a lot of people just fall into it. And I was no exception to this. I started off in demand generation, and my whole goal was really just to help generate leads to, to feed the sales team at some of the fast-growing startups I was working at. And so I quickly realized whenever we launched a free trial freemium model that we were able to generate hundreds of thousands of users who really got a ton of value out of our product, and they became paying customers. And so I saw this old way of really just promoting the content, getting them to uh, fill out the landing pages, and then basically sending as many automated emails as you can until they convert to paying customers. That is kind of the old marketing playbook. And the new marketing playbook is really about leading with value and getting people to experience it as quickly as possible in your product. And so that's what's really shaped the way I look at the market and why I'm focusing in on this problem, because I see it as just the future of SaaS, like leading with your product is how you will grow your SaaS business in the future. Nice. It's, it's, it's something that we think a great deal about here at Gainsight as well. Now, tell us, put some shape around this. You know, we, we talk about product-led growth. I think there's a, a, a lot of opportunity for us to help uh, put some shape around that. So how do you define product-led growth? Absolutely. So product-led growth to me is a go-to-market strategy where you're using your product as the main vehicle to acquire activate, and even retain customers. And so if you think about this, product-led growth is really nothing new. It's really just getting people to try before they buy. And using your product, by doing that, you're using your product as a customer acquisition model, which is extremely powerful. Very nice. Now, one of the questions that I've, I've been asked uh, is, who is this right for? Like, is this only a, a go-to-market strategy for, you know, these, uh, you know, single where your buyer is your user and you have very low uh, sale prices? Like, help, what is the, um, I mean, even speak to some of the customers that you've worked with, you know, what does the profile look like for companies that are going to be effective at executing the strategy? Yeah. And so in terms of who I've worked with, where I've seen this work really, really well, it's it's all over the spectrum. I've worked from companies from just 500K to over 500 million. And within that, it's been really fascinating just to see where does product-led growth work the best. And so there's a ton of ways you can dissect, like should a company have product-led growth or not, or whether it's a free trial freemium model. And so the companies that I see work best with this one strategy, really have a product where you have a quick time to value. If it takes months and months and months for you to really get set up in the product and seeing value, oftentimes a sales-led approach will be a little bit more effective because you really need to um, help that organization become successful. And 
handhold them a little bit more. So I would say that that is one of the biggest factors that I look for whenever it comes to understanding if product-led growth is even right for a business. Got it. So quick time to value, you put it in the context of you know, multiple months. Is there a time frame that you think is the threshold? You know, is it uh, two weeks, three weeks? I mean, help, uh, help us understand what, how quick time to value means. Yeah. And so for a time to value, like let's say we pull up a uh, specific product like live chat solution. Let's use Drift as an example, since a lot of people know Drift. And so if you start using Drift, well, first you have to basically upload the script to your website, and then it's going to take a while for you to really have conversations on your website. And so Drift has a freemium model where once you get up to 100 conversations on your website, then they kind of qualify you as a product qualified lead and say, all right, you understand the value of the product. And now we can talk to you from a sales perspective because you, we, there's no real big explaining the value of the product. You get it. We just want to serve you better. And so in that particular case, that could take a company maybe five weeks or maybe also five hours, depending on how big the company is. And so I think whenever you're looking at a product like that, it's really important to look at the velocity of how fast can someone get value. And not every business is going to be a good fit. Like in that example, if you have a website where there's a hundred visitors a month, like you're going to take forever <laughs> to get to that limit. <laughs> and for Drift, that's, that's just not a good customer fit. And so it's really important to just look at those metrics within the product to see like who is getting up to speed the quickest. And maybe those are your best customers. For instance, if it's a company like Gainsight and you put on Drift, on your website or, or intercom, you're going to see that hundred messages hit within maybe an hour, just because you have a ton of traffic. Now, one of the one of the things that I've heard as well is, in addition to time to value, I mean, what are some of the barriers that you've seen, or some of the things that your clients have convinced themselves that are just like standard truths, like oh, this won't work for me, and and what are some of the uh, barriers? For those that are looking to implement or even change from, you know, you mentioned that traditional go-to-market motion, very marketing and sales uh, centric. I mean, what are some of the barriers that those champions inside the organization need to overcome? Or what what can you share on that front? Yeah, and so I think for really adopting the product-led growth strategy, a lot of people try and. I guess, cheat themselves on thinking it's, it's really this long, hard process. They need to invest hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars in engineering time to really get the product to the right point where people can experience the value of it very quickly. And I'd actually argue it doesn't have to be anything like that. For instance, if you wanted to launch a free trial, you could do it in an hour or 24 hours. And it's really straightforward. You just have to change that demo option or add a free trial option to your website and it could be a request for free trial. So you set the expectation that there's going to be some form of sales process involved. But what you're doing is you can just walk people through the product. And as you're doing that, you're going to find some really hairy problems where maybe you have to manually create each of these accounts. And so by doing this process manually, you're going to quickly 
discover. What are those things that we need to automate first? And so you can really kind of go through this free trial or freemium launch process and really dissect it manually. And it will take time. But even companies like Superhuman have been doing this for a really long time to really just understand like, what are those core needs that we need to show people as soon as they log into the product? And where do people mess up the most in the product? And it's really important to understand some of those problems right at the onset, because then you can really prevent them within your products. And whether it's using a product like Gainsight PX to guide people within the product to the points and places that matter so they can experience the value. So something else that I've found, uh, some questions that have come up around best practices, right? Everyone talks about best practices. You've got, you know, everyone must do X, Y, Z. I mean, <laughs> are you finding that there are best practices out there or is that something that there's a, a different approach to take with, with executing product-led growth? Yeah, so there's a lot of things that can be applied to every single company out there. And the first one is, for instance, if you require people to activate their email as soon as they sign up. So across the board with all my clients, I typically find that if you require this email activation step where if someone signs up, they have to go to their email to basically verify that that is their email address and then they can log into the product, that one step alone craters absolutely craters your free to paid conversion rate. And so I've had clients where they've removed that one step and almost overnight, they've seen their MRR boost by 20%. And so that is one of those hacks, if you'll even call it that, that is really powerful to just show people, okay, let's get them into the product. Let's show them the value of the product as soon as possible. Because we all know if you send people to their email to activate uh, that email address, there's going to be so many other um, competing opportunities in that inbox for someone to capitalize on. And so if there's an important message from their boss or something like that, it's just your activation email goes out the window, they will go to something else and you, you have lost that opportunity, which is really sad. Interesting. So that's a huge drop. You've seen that that being a, a huge drop off point, just the email verification uh, step. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you don't have to eliminate it altogether. You could simply delay it. Maybe it's the second time someone logs into the product, or maybe they have until the end of the trial to activate that email address. But just requiring it at the onset is one of those things that I have seen destroy so many conversion rates. So it's one of the first things I bring up to help people uh, prevent that from happening. Interesting. Now, Wes, share with us a little bit about um, how the, the difference between um, what companies assume customers are getting value from their offering and what their customers actually, actually, uh, um, you know, the value they actually receive. And I put that in the context of what are, um, how do companies go about truly identifying what are, what would a product qualified lead look like? Yeah, so that is a great question. And whenever it comes to understanding what does a product qualified lead look like for a business, it's it's one of those things that's going to be different for every single kind of business. Like if we go back to that first example with Drift, they really try and analyze, okay, how many messages do you send? And once you hit that 100 message cap, that to them is a product qualified lead. And so that's someone they really want to have a conversation with or if 
it's a self-service option, that's when they want to ask them to upgrade because they already know the value of the product. Now, if we look at Slack, a product qualified lead for them is really once a team hits that 10,000 message limit. And so the quicker you hit that, well, the better qualified you are. If it takes your team, well, maybe let's say 10 months to hit that 10,000 message limit, well, there's probably two people in that group (laughs) just chatting back and forth. And so that's probably not their ideal fit. And so whenever you're looking at, okay, like how should I build my product qualified lead and what should be included within that mix so I know if people are qualified, it really comes down to understanding your value metrics. And so if you're not familiar with what a value metric is, it's just the the way um, you display value. So for instance, if I'm selling shoes, maybe the metric is uh, the pair of shoes I sell to people. And so if we think about the instance with Drift, that is the number of messages sent, same thing with Slack and the number of users people send. And so the better you know your value metrics, the easier it is to really understand, are people actually getting value out of my product? And so that's what I really suggest people to look into. And if you're not too familiar with value metrics, I'd really recommend checking out ProfitWell's blog because they do a great job breaking down what those metrics are. That's fantastic. So is that one of the, that I believe is one of the services you provide, right? You walk into an organization and help them identify that, or is it assumed that they already know it? So it really depends on the organization. Like if it's a smaller one, sometimes they really don't know like, okay, what is that value metric? And so, yes, I do help them go through that whole process. But for larger companies, I usually find that they, they do have a better handle on that. Wes, I've seen, uh, you've actually produced some amazing content out there related to should you go, uh, the choices that you have. So saying, you know, we're going to offer some, a freemium offering or, um, you know, a limited time, you know, fully function uh, trial gate. I mean, what are the, how do you, uh, can you share with us how you help your companies or help the companies you work with decide what is the best approach for them? Yeah, absolutely. So the framework I use to help people understand like whether they should do a free trial or freemium is called the moat framework. And so it really just starts with the market strategy. And so in terms of defining like, okay, whether it's free trial or freemium that'll work best, I there's really just three main market strategies if you want to grow fast. And so the first one is the dominant growth strategy. So this is something like if you want to become the Netflix or the Spotify kind of company, you have to do something much, much better than the competition and also charge a lot less for it. And so that's a really hard place to keep in the market because you have to keep your customer acquisition costs as low as possible. So you'll often find in those particular companies, like they're using a free trial freemium model, just because that's the best way to do it. And if you don't, well, your customer acquisition costs go way up if you use a sales-led approach. And so on the other side of the spectrum, there is the differentiated growth strategy, which is really just when you do something much better than the competition, and you can also charge more. So an example would be, let's say we decide at the end of this call, we're going to create a HubSpot competitor. Now, HubSpot is a Goliath in a lot of ways for 
the CRM space. And so we can say, all right, um, HubSpot doesn't do the best job for real estate agents specifically. And so we could just create a CRM specifically for real estate agents. And by doing so, we can solve their problems much, much better. But maybe this is often the case. When you're doing this differentiated approach, you often add layers of complexity onto your product so that the time to value is, is a lot harder and it takes a lot longer for people to get up to speed. And so typically that's a free trial or a sales set approach. And then on the last part of the growth framework, there's really just the discrete strategy. So this is a company like even let's say Google Docs or Canva versus Adobe Photoshop. And so you're doing this product way, it's actually way simpler than what the market has ever seen before. And you charge a lot less. And so typically a freemium will work best in this instance. And so that's the the biggest part of the moat framework that I really focus in on because if you don't know your market strategy, then it's really hard to understand like which option will be best for your business, whether it's a free trial, freemium, sales set approach. And so if you want to just dive into that framework or if you just want to figure out whether it's free trial versus freemium for your business, I basically taken that entire framework and boil it down to a bunch of questions that I'll ask you, which are just like yes or no. And you can find out like which model worked best. And that's at trafficiscurrency.com slash quiz. Very nice. Wes, one final question I have for you. So you you approach these, uh, you know, your B2B SaaS companies, they have a product, they're interested in, in exploring, you know, product-led growth techniques, interesting in, in introducing a trial or a freemium offering. Um, who owns this? Like, what is the, I mean, is it marketing? Is it product? Is it sales? I mean, who within the kind of a traditional organization owns this end to end? Yeah, no, this is a great question again. And I think at this point, there is no clear distinction between who owns this side of the product in terms of optimizing it. And so it could be rolled under product managers, growth PMs, also even product designers, because they're often the ones who are kind of crafting this experience and also user experience designers. And so uh, at smaller companies, it is often the, the CEO or the VP of marketing, which I think is a really um, emerging field where VP of marketing are now saying, okay, um, the old playbook that I was referencing at the beginning, where you're just using this whole approach where we create content, we put up those landing pages, we convert those leads, and we automate all the emails to send them. And then hopefully they trip that wire where they become a marketing qualified lead and then boom, they're to sales. And that's just not enough anymore. And so the, the product is really that customer acquisition model. So that is something I'm actually really excited to see uh, become more and more common where BPs of marketing are saying, all right, I need to turn this product into a customer acquisition model. That's great, Wes. I love the insights you're sharing with us. I said last question was the last one, but then that sparked something new. Where do you, so walking into a a company, you know, one of your clients, where do you, um, you know, they've got a trial in in place. They want to improve it. So where do they start? You know, what is it, what is the information that they should be grabbing uh, a hold of to help inform where the, uh, their efforts should be focused? 
Yeah, so I guess it is really just two places where they could start. The first one is if you're thinking about becoming a product-led organization using a free trial or freemium model to really grow quicker, well, you, you got to figure out which model is right for you. And so in that particular case, I just recommend reading everything you can about free trial versus freemium and seeing which option will be best for your business and then making that decision as a team because you're going to get a lot of different insights when, let's say, you bring the customer success rep into the conversation because maybe that freemium model will overwhelm them and they need more people on their team to even support a model like that. So that's just the the overall recommendation for that. The other part is if you're looking to optimize your free trial versus freemium model. And so if that's the case, um, what I'd really recommend even just starting with is a framework I created. It's called the Bowling Alley Framework. And so let me ask you a question. Like, have you played bowling before? Yes. Me All right. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. And so, like, when was the the earliest you started playing bowling? Like, as a kid, like, how old were you? Maybe five or six years old. Okay. Awesome. And so, like, let's say when your your parents first took you there to the bowling alley, and like, how many gutter balls did you get the first time? Just even just try and guess. <laughs> Every single one. I got them all. I got all the gutters. Yeah. And so did your parents do anything to make sure that uh, your ball would not go in the gutters? <laughs> at the time, so dating myself a little bit. So at the time, uh, yes, they would, you know, stand with me. They would help me like get the, get the right ball, so to speak. Um, but uh, nowadays, it's very different, right? You've got your guardrails that pop up and you've got your little dragon yeah. to put the ball in. It drops exactly where it needs to be. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so when we think about just the whole approach to onboarding, you really do need to put those guardrails up because the whole situation when someone starts using your product is really not too different. Like this is their first time going into your product and they're trying to figure out how can they get that strike, that which is the desired outcome that they, they signed up for your product for. And so the problem is that most products, uh, they just don't guide people towards that desired outcome very well. And so it takes a lot of uh, strength and motivation and ability for someone to get to that point. And so there's really three things you need in order to optimize your free to paid conversion. Right? The first one is creating that straight line. If we think about bowling, we want to put that ball down as straight line as we can so that we smash all the pins in the middle and get that strike, which is what we want. And so if we think about it within the product, it's like, how can we get people from point A to point B in their lives as soon as possible? And everything else that doesn't uh, go with that mission is can be removed. And oftentimes there's a lot of advanced steps that companies include in the onboarding where it's like, that's important. I get it. But we can use that later, maybe the second time or the fourth time someone logs into the product. That That's not mission critical at the beginning. And so then we get to put up the fun part, which is the guardrails. And so I, in my bowling alley framework, have two bumpers. There's the product bumper and then the conversational bumper. And so the product bumper is things like welcome messages, product tours, progress bars, checklists. And so even a product like Gainsight PX, you in theory, are, would fit under this category of you really help people put up that product bumper so that as they go through the product, you're guiding them towards that desired outcome. And then 
On the left-hand side, you have the conversational bumper. And what's powerful about this is, let's say, I'm signing up for Gains IPX. And I don't finish the onboarding. I don't upload it to my product. Well, you can bump me back to where I am in my user journey. For instance, if I don't upload it to my product, well, okay, you send me an email about that. Just meet me where I am and drive me closer towards that desired outcome. So for... That's a long-winded answer to your question of how you go about optimizing your free job freemium model. But that's really where I would start and really just thinking about it in that bowling alley framework uh, way of thinking because it really, when you think about it that way, it makes things a lot more simple. That's awesome. Wes, well, thank you so much uh, for sharing your insights today. I think this is extremely valuable information for the community to get get a hold of. Um, I, I recommend to any of our listeners uh, to take a look at Traffic as Currency if you're considering going into uh, executing either a freemium or a free trial experience. Uh, Wes has a lot of information to share and, and great material to help you get uh, started effectively. So Wes, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me, Travis. 